What's going on, everybody? Welcome into a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst and sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And what a crazy world we're living in right now. Hopefully everybody is out there safe and sound. I know a lot of you aren't. A lot of you are dealing with Omicron, Omicron, whatever you say it, the big O, along with COVID. Uh, my thoughts are with all of you. Stay safe, please, especially at this holiday time, and uh, just take care of yourselves. And hopefully, hopefully, we're going to have a game on Sunday. We will not have radio on Friday. Uh, a lot of stuff going on at Sports Radio 610, so this will be our last all-access show before the game being played on Sunday. We will have John McClain on with Mark and myself tomorrow night, the hour show before the Thursday night game, which is a big one, Titans v. 49ers. That's going to be a big one in Nashville. Let's go, Niners. Let's go get it done and knock the Titans down. Another peg was just... It's just fun to watch. Sad and mad Vrabel, fun to watch. Anyhow, we're going to have some joy in this season. That would be the joy, but that's for tomorrow. So we got a lot to do because we don't have a Friday show, so we got to get everything in. So we got Nick Casario coming up. We got Davis Mills with DP Sidhu. We have got Tremont Smith with the Drews Dozen. We have got a Where Are They Now Wednesday with Fred Weary, who sat down with Drew Doherty, Haley Elwood, who covers the Chargers, will join DP for Behind Enemy Sidelines. We've got Houston Methodist Minutes on this COVID and Omicron situation. And then the Drew Dory's final word is with Tremont Smith. So we got a lot to do. So let's dive in with the general manager of your Houston Texans, Nick Casario. Joining us right now on Texans Radio, it's Nick Casario, general manager of your Texans. And Nick, congratulations on the win, beating Jacksonville. Let's get to that and then get to what's happening down the stretch here in the 2021 campaign. Seemed like everybody pulled together very well. You had a lot of guys out, the guys hung together, and you got a much-needed win. Yeah, really, it was a collective, I would say, team and kind of organizational effort. Um, a lot of players who hadn't played very much during the year at any point really had the opportunity to play extensive snaps. Um, some, in fact, came down to the matter as late as Saturday, just finding out some of the results of some of the testing and some of the other things. But, you know, collectively as a team, you know, we were able to make some plays in all three phases of the game. Um, you know, we did enough to win. So we did more than Jacksonville did in the game. So it was, you know, it's great to see. It's actually it's just really a, a credit and a tribute to the players and the coaches for the work and the effort that they put in. Um, so it's always good to win on Sunday for as much time as everybody puts into it. So, you know, it's good to win. And, you know, we're turning the page here, getting ready for the Chargers. Nick, there's so many challenges in this game of football, and I'm sure over the years we've seen them. But this one with COVID and the testing and the fact that you could find out Saturday evening or Sunday morning whether a guy is available or he's not. As far as challenges go, what you see in the NFL, where does this one sort of rank for you? And, and how much do you sort of relish it to see, hey, let's see if I can see a couple guys that maybe we haven't seen this year? Yeah, I, th I think it's a good perspective. I think it's a good reminder for all of us just to be very flexible. we got to be nimble, and we have to be willing to adapt sometime at a moment's notice. And, and that's really what the game is about. And, and when you look at the actual what happens during the course of a game, that's really what, what happens. You have to adapt. You have to adjust to – what the conditions are in the game, you know, for example, we had the rain. So now you 
you correlate that to what happens outside of the football field in terms of your team construction, in terms of getting players ready to play. So it just reiterates the importance of everybody being ready to go during the course of the week because you really never know when your opportunity is going to come. And we've talked at different points, um, you know, throughout the year that that practice squad is an, it's an extension of your roster and those players they do everything that everybody else does during the course of the week and they have to prepare as if they're going to play. And this was a really a good example of that kind of coming to fruition. Nick, uh, take us through a couple of situations because these are important in the development of these players. These young players are going to be around here for a while. Davis Mills, the offensive players late in the first half, being able to get that field goal squeezed off before time expired. And also late in the game or later in the game, when you're trying to play keep away or get that, that score to put it out of reach. Both those situations worked out well for the Texans. Yeah, really a lot of games come down to situational execution and situational football and situational awareness. So um, at the end of the half, we were able to capitalize on the, I think we got the fourth down stop or whatever, however we got the ball back. Mm -hmm. So we're able to get the ball with decent field position, had the three timeouts. Um, We managed the clock to the point where we could complete the pass call timeout. Um, the players were alert to the situation. So after the catch, Chris knew what he had to do, had to do. Um, everybody was alert. So we were able to get the timeout with whatever it was one or two seconds left. And the field unit was able to go onto the field and really it comes down to the execution of the kick. So if you miss the field goal, I mean, you know, it's kind of class half full, half empty, if you will, yeah. but you know, Kaimi was able to go out there in tough conditions and execute the kick. So it was a good team effort. And at the end of the game, the four minute situation, just being able to kind of control the ball a little bit, get some much needed first downs, choose some clock and then hit the big play there at the end. So collectively as a team, we were able to execute in, in a lot of the situational areas um, defensively played well on third down and did a good job in the red area. So when you look at red, uh, red zone, third down, two minute, four minute, those situations, you know, we had the advantage and we took advantage of our opportunities and the end result was the victory. Nick, so few times do we see a kick returner take one 98 yards to the house. In fact, being on the sidelines since 2014, I think the last time I saw one was, well, 2016 in a playoff game against a team you knew very well at the time. Tremont gets one on Sunday from 7-3 to to 14-3. A, what kind of change does that make in the game when he takes that to the house? And B, you re-upped with Tremont. I asked you about that a couple of weeks ago. It seems to be paying off, but he had a tremendous day on special teams. How valuable was that to the win on Sunday as well? Yeah, no question. I mean, Tremont has worked hard. I would say anytime you have the opportunity to score either defensively um, or in the kicking game, you know, it's an added bonus. So those are kind of additional points, if you will. It's additional possession, if you will. Um, offensively. But in terms of the execution of that return, it was very well blocked. Um, We had a lot of good efforts from a number of players. A double team was well executed. Royce was able to lead up inside and then Chris kind of wheeled around there a little bit. So he kind of had a little bit of a convoy down the sideline. But really, it was good running at the point of attack because about the 30-ish, 35-yard line, you know, there were three or four Jaguars that had the opportunity to tackle Tremont, and he was able to keep his balance. And then once he squirted through, then his speed took over. So um, it was good overall execution. It was, it was well blocked. Matter of fact, the other return almost had an opportunity to pop as well. Um, we bounced it outside. So they, the, the return team has worked hard. Frank's worked hard with the return team. So, um, you know, it's always good to see when that effort is rewarded. Um, you know, with a touchdown or with a positive play. So Tremont's worked hard um, from the day that he arrived here. He's had a good attitude. And in addition to 
uh, the kickoff return. He had one or two tackles um, on the coverage units as well. And matter of fact, on the following kickoff um, after the uh, after the touchdown, he was on the uh, kickoff coverage unit. So Tremont's worked hard. He, he's created a good role for himself. And the bottom line is comes down to execute whatever your job is. And he's been able to do that. So it's a credit to him. And it's a credit to the coaching staff as well. Nick, it's notable that you played at Buffalo. It was a deluge, and that did not go well. But you played in Nashville. It was a deluge. That did go well, and it was raining a lot in Jacksonville. That went well as well. So when you look back on a season like this or in particular games or what players do in certain situations, do you take that kind of thing into account, the weather conditions, and how do you track that sort of thing? Because, you know, for instance, the Patriots playing Buffalo a few weeks ago, or a couple of weeks ago, and it was windy and, and they ran the ball like crazy and they only threw it three times. They got to look back on that and say, well, remember, <laughs> remember the conditions. So how do you take all that into account? Yeah. We understand the environment for call it eight to 10 of our games, you know, the home games and the AFC South are going to be in a fairly controlled environment. And there's going to be games where we're going to have to deal with and play with the elements. So I think you just adjust and adapt to whatever the situation is. Um, and maybe you have a little bit more focus and concentration. I mean, ball security, anytime the weather is inclement, anytime the ball is wet, you know, there's certain things that you have to make sure that you do. The passing game is, is you have to adjust the passing game a little bit, or there's certain routes that you call or certain plays that, you know, you're going to be able to execute in those conditions. So I think it's having an, an awareness and understanding of the conditions, but also realize you're still trying to play the opponent. It's not about the weather, but you have to understand the weather and the conditions that you're playing in. And if there's adjustments that you have to make as a team, then you just have to make sure your team understands why it's important. And maybe you're just a little bit more conscious of doing the little things and taking care of the football, um, you know, a little bit more diligently. Nick, I, we may have touched on this last week a little bit because he got in the game uh, with some injuries and some things going on at linebacker, and that's Garrett Wallow. Number one, I heard this maybe three times yesterday on radio, and I thought I was just going to die. They call, kept calling him undersized. I, I scared every day. He doesn't look undersized to me. But the one other thing is, boy, he gets to the football quickly. What would you think of a full 60 minutes of seeing Garrett on Sunday? Yeah, there was a lot of players defensively that, you know, were very active. I'd say Garrett was one of them. Neville played well. Um, you know, Tavier had a good game. Um, yeah. You know, Garrett has really improved and grown over the course of the year. Um, it's an interesting observation. I think most linebackers, I'd say the average linebacker, give or take, you know, it's going to be anywhere from six foot to 230, 235 pounds. There's some teams that play with bigger linebackers, so that maybe extends the curve a little bit. And you might have this concept of like what a bigger linebacker is. I think when you look at maybe historically and what the Texans have played with, system and the front structure is a little bit different so there was a little bit different emphasis on the type of player whether it was BMAC um, you know those types of players so as we've kind of transitioned a little bit um, schematically so the points of emphasis may be a little bit different of what you're going to it's all about what you're going to ask that player to do so I mean Levante David I don't think anybody say would say that that he's very big but he's one of the best linebackers in the league so I mean he's barely six foot I don't know is he 220 pounds but he's very instinctive. He runs well. He's tough as hell. So, you know, linebacker is about being instinctive and what, however fast or big you are, being able to use those attributes to your advantage. So say Garrett's a pretty instinctive player. He runs well for his size. Um, I'd say he's strong for his size. But, you know, I think it's a matter of like the lens through which you view it and what you're asking that player to do. Nick, it's number discrimination, isn't it? I mean, the 32 just slims him down. I mean, you put a 50-something on him, it's going to be a completely different look, right? I mean, isn't that – that happens. 
No comment. <laughs> we'll, we'll see a big linebacker next week in, in 54 for the Niners. So um, maybe yeah. he fits the, uh, the size requirement. <laughs> but so. this is not just a Texans thing. It's a league evolution thing in a way, right? Like when you got to the Patriots, weren't they really big? The linebackers, Ted Johnson and those guys. And we know Ted well from, from his 6'10 days. But that's been a thing in this league, right? As linebackers have to cover more. Is that a, a situation that's happening? Yeah, I think the league has evolved. I think the way teams play offensively um, has evolved. So defensively, you have to be able to combat. You know, we talked about this a few weeks ago. You have to maybe be able to defend a little bit more space and be able to play both vertically and horizontally. But by the same token, you know, when you look at, you know, you you've alluded to Mark, the Buffalo New England game, whatever it was, you know, however many runs there were. Mm -hmm. um, and then even watching the Colts game from the other night, I mean, they ran the ball effectively and in the end. So I think whatever your size is, it, it comes down to, I'd say, body position, hand placement, leverage, um, and then instinctiveness. So however you use your size and however big you are, however you use it to your advantage, like that's the most important thing. And defensively, the, ultimately, the goal is to get the player on the ground. So however you can get that player on the ground from a tackling standpoint, that's the most important thing. How you're going to defeat a block or play a block, whether it's if you have Quentin Nelson running directly downhill at Garrett Wallow, it's not going to be a good matchup. But if you have them in a two-eye or a three technique or the front kind of helps you protect the linebacker a little bit, then maybe it gives him the opportunity to have a little bit more space and be able to make that play where the size isn't as important. So, I mean, you know, Teddy Bruschi wasn't the biggest linebacker, you know, 6'1", 230 pounds, but he played strong for size. So it's really about, like, how do you use your size um, to your advantage? And it comes down to, again, body positioning, hand placement, playing with good leverage, playing with good knee bend. I know it sounds pretty simple, but – that ultimately, regardless of how big or small you are, that's what football comes down to. Nick, I, I, this is, I'm using Garrett as an example, but it's more a broader picture. Garrett played high school at John Curtis High School. It's a famed high school, one of the greatest high school coaches, Johnny Curtis there. Then he goes to TCU and plays for Gary Patterson. How much does that, his background, who coached a player, who was around a player, how much does that matter as you're doing evaluations of young guys coming into the NFL? Sure, it's important. Um, you know, when you look at some of the, you know, better defense, I mean, Coach Patterson has been, you know, as good a defensive coach as there is in college football, even going back to his days at Pittsburgh State. So whenever you're evaluating a player, you're always looking at whatever information that you have accessible. So how are they coached? What system are they playing in? And a lot of times what we have to figure out is what are they actually being asked to do? So because you're watching and you might see something, but you don't really have a global understanding of what that player is being asked to do. So as you go through your evaluation process, you can do a little bit deeper dive. So, um, but it's certainly a part of the, uh, a part of the process, John, there's no question about it. Um, you know, cause you're taking the player in totality. So, you know, how they absorb information, the intricacies of the system, how many adjustments they're, you know, they're asked of that player. So there's so much that goes into it, but anything in the player's background can certainly help create a picture of what we're receiving in the player. Nick, you have the Chargers coming up here, and this is a team that's fighting for the playoffs, and they've got a lot going for themselves. They've got Justin Herbert, and I know he's kind of the focus when fans and media look at this team, but there's so much more than that. What do you make of them? Yeah, I would say the word that comes to mind with them is explosive. Um, Herbert's as good of a quarterback as there is in the league. So he's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's athletic. He has a rocket for an arm. Um, I think they're among the top 10 and you know, pretty close to a top 10 or 15 and 20-plus um, throws. 
Um, you know, Keenan Allen is as good a receiver as there is in a league. He kind of gets lost in the shuffle, but it's consistent a player. I think he's like the first or second most targeted player on third down in the league. And then Mike Williams is big. He's fast. He makes a bunch of explosive plays down the field. Um, and Eckler, I mean, depending on situation, his situation, I think I read something yesterday, potentially could be on the COVID list. But I think over the last three years, he leads the league in running backs and receptions, yards and you know, targets. So you're talking about a, a multi-purpose threat. So they got a lot of good players offensively and then defensively. Um, you know, it starts with Bosa. I mean, he's as good as any defensive player in the league. Um, Tillery's a good inside player, um, you know, kind of three to five technique, has really good size, has good length. Um, pretty instinctive linebackers. Again, this is interesting, actually, going back to the wall of discussion, John. So when you look at White and Tranquil, um, they're two starting inside linebackers. They were both were former safeties. So they played safety, you know, not necessarily – Tranquil played safety early in his career at Notre Dame. They going to high school. They transitioned into linebacker. And then White actually played safety at yeah. West Virginia, and he's transitioned to playing Will linebacker. Um, so just going back to kind of what we're talking about, size of linebacker. And then Derwin James is as versatile – and as good of a defensive player as is in the league, they play him at safety, they play him at star, they play him at at, uh, at money and dime. Um, 6'1", 205 pounds. I mean, athletic, runs well. So they're a very, I would say, explosive team with a lot of talented players. Um, and Brandon's come in and done a good job of sort of putting his stamp on what they're doing defensively. And then uh, Coach Lombardi offensively has done a nice job of taking some of the concepts that they used in New Orleans and really kind of fitting, you know, not necessarily those concepts of Justin, but trying to figure out what Justin does well, which is a lot. Um, and then, you know, it, it, they have an offense they put together that makes it hard to defend. Um, and then Darius has done a good job in a kicking game. Darius Swinton, the special teams coordinator, has done a good job in a kicking game. they got a good core group. So, I mean, they're eight and six or whatever their record is for a reason. They're a good football team, and they've beaten some good teams. They've been a lot of close games. Um, so, you know, it's a, certainly a big challenge in front of us here on Sunday. Nick, one more for you. I'm uh, doing – we're doing the player show with uh, Jonathan Owens this week. So help me with my homework. Give me a little Jonathan Owens tidbit, story, anecdote, whatever you got on Jonathan Owens that could help me out here. I don't know if I have a tidbit or anecdote, but I would say actually going back to, uh, you know, when I, when I first arrived here back in January, February, we were kind of going through our player evaluations. Um, and when you look at, I would say, some of the work that Jonathan has done um, in, the weight, in the weight room, strength and development, like his – I would say his explosiveness, his speed, his strength was as good as any defensive back that we had on the roster. So he's had the athletic attributes um, more than anything. You know, it's probably about experience, just having the opportunity to play. So Jonathan's had a great attitude. He's worked hard since the day we arrived. Um, he's kind of waited his time. He kind of bided his time here a little bit. And he had an opportunity and went out there and, and took advantage of it. So it's credit to him and it's kind of his stick to um, and his just work ethic and his mindset. And, you know, hopefully that continues here moving forward. We'll let you sneak another one in, John. I know you were trying to chime in there. So, <laughs> oh, no, I just when you mentioned Brandon Staley, the fact that you didn't mention John Carroll at all, I thought was a big loss. <laughs> oh. I mean, come well, on, he, man. I mean, he, you had the perfect opportunity yeah. to kind of put it out there and boast a little bit. Well, I mean, he's he's not a John Carroll grad, technically. So he just coached at John Carroll for yeah. three years. So, I mean, right. but, you know, it's a. He's gone from being Division Three defensive yeah. coordinator to being the head coach of the Chargers. So, uh, you know, Brandon's a good coach. He's a smart kid. He works hard. And, you know, he's, he's done a good job here in the early part of the season. No question. Nick, Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Thanks so much for the time. Good luck this week against the Chargers. Same to you guys. Take care. It's always fun catching up with Nick for our exclusive two-on-one. We get that every single week and love to bring that to you right off the bat on a Wednesday. Now, we have got some news 
that we need to discuss. And, oh boy. First of all, the injury report. There's not a lot on the injury report. I mean, you look at the injury report and you see only seven guys on it. That's because freaking everybody else is on COVID-19 reserve list. Three more went on the list today. Kaimi Fairbairn, oh boy. Brandon Cooks, oh. Eric Wilson. Those three went on the reserve COVID-19 list. One player was added to the reserve injured list, and that was Jeff Driscoll. Uh, Apparently, he got dinged up on a special teams play in Jacksonville this last Sunday. So, if you're keeping track, I believe it was 15 going into yesterday. Jaleel Johnson was added to the COVID-19 list yesterday. Um, I think the entire defensive line is on the COVID-19 reserve list. It's just been rough. Now, it's not as if the Chargers have got off scot-free. Joey Bosa was on there. Austin Eckler was put on the COVID-19 list, if I saw that properly today. So a lot of stuff going on with COVID-19, Omicron. We thought this thing would be out of our lives. It is. It's going to remain a part of our lives for forevermore, I got a feeling. We just have to learn how to handle everything uh, that goes with it and be able to function with it. And right now, it's just a tough, tough time. We've gone to all virtual. Uh, I mean, it's just been... Uh, it's it's been wild to say the least, but Kaimi Fairbairn, Brandon Cooks, Eric Wilson put on the COVID nineteen list today. Jeff Driscoll put on the reserve injured list. Now, if you're wondering about some of those players with the COVID issues, could they come off? Sure, they could come off um, over the next few days. Even these three could come off the next few days. It's based on when they can get a negative test and get two of them, and it doesn't have to be 24 hours apart anymore. They just have to get that negative test to get back. I know the Rams had a number of players. I think it was about 22 players that ended up going on the COVID-19 list. They ended up getting a good majority of them back such that they only lost or were without three starters the other night or last night when they played the Seattle Seahawks. So there's hope that, that guys can get back. The biggest thing is hopefully they're asymptomatic and they can just be healthy because I know for – some people that have been struck by this, I mean, we've been talking about it since March 2020 when they've been struck by this and the symptoms just, I mean, are overwhelming at times. Some people have gotten it and haven't had one ounce of issue. So um, thoughts with everybody out there that's going through it, family members, whatever the case might be. It's just it's all around us now. And obviously hitting the Texans, I believe that makes 18 people put on the COVID-19 list. So hopefully that will change in due time. But for right now, it's a tough one. So we'll keep our eye on it the rest of the week. But that'll be your last injury report for the week. All right, we've got to get to Davis Mills, who did a DP Sidhu deep slant interview for the first time. Let's check it out next right here on Texans All Access. Yes. 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 Welcome back to this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access, and I'm calling all my Houston area teachers out there. You want to bring a little Texans football to your classrooms? Then sign up for Toro's Math Drills, presented by Phillips. Toro's Math Drills is a video series designed to help third and fourth graders learn how to tackle math in the classroom. Go to HoustonTexans.com slash Toro's Math Drills to learn more. A big thanks to Phillips for always being part 
of the show. And a reminder to register kids ages 12 and under to become a Toros Kids Club member for free and submit their holiday wish list for their chance to be granted at least one item off of their list from Santa Toro. Learn more at HoustonTexans.com. Now, one guy could imagine went into a classroom, a math classroom, and learned through the game of football is Davis Mills. That's just, that's my hunch. But I would imagine that's really uh, how he learned math was through football. Well, he's learning football through a different prism, playing quarterback as a rookie in the NFL. And he sat down with D.P. Sidhu to talk all about that, our Deep Slant interview of the week. D.P., take it away. It's the Deep Slant 101 presented by Xfinity. My guest this week, starting quarterback Davis Mills. First of all, Davis, first NFL win for you in your career. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, What's this week been like for you? It's been great. Um, but I mean, since I guess we had the victory Monday, came in and started the film film watching and prep on Tuesday, and it's kind of on to the next one. I mean, you've gotten a lot of national love this week just from what you were able to do. You know, you've had eight starts, but you get the win, the fourth quarter drive to get the final touchdown from uh, from you to Cooks to really, as you said, final dagger in that game against the Jaguars. With all this media attention that you've gotten lately, does it feel like there's a little bit of a weight lifted off your shoulders just getting that first win under your belt? I mean, I wouldn't say a weight lifted off my shoulders. I would just say, I mean, we're we're coming in each way, week with the same goal, and that's to win football games. So now that I accomplished that first one, it's, I guess, makes it easier to move forward and go on to that next week and try to do the same thing. I think one of the big questions that has gotten asked in the last few weeks from really all the coaches that you work with is, What's improved from the first few games that you started until this this last stretch of when, when you were named the starter? And I mean, I've heard a number of answers from quicker decision making, recognizing blitzes, your internal clock being a little bit faster. I know David Culley has mentioned that a few times, but I, I wanted to ask you, what, what do you think has really improved from early on in the season when you were playing games to now? I mean, I think it's a combination of all those things. I think the biggest part that plays a role in it is just the experience and kind of having that knowledge and the memory bank you can pull from of the previous looks you've seen. I mean, the example of the Jaguars game this past week, we had the delay a game at the start of the game that they brought a cover zero blitz. And I was trying to get to a, uh, an audible and make sure we were in the right play. And I just ran out of time pre-snap. And then we ended up seeing that same thing later in the game. And I ended up checking it out of it and getting a big play to fill up there. So I think just things like that that pop up and I'm able to start start processing it faster and get to answers, it's it's really helped out. What, what do you think in those few games that you weren't playing where you were sitting behind Tyrod Taylor? Were there things that you were wanting to work on or what were sort of the things that you were looking at in game when you weren't actually playing in the game? The biggest thing was just being fully locked in mentally. Um, I think that's the hardest part of the backup quarterback's job in the NFL is just staying fully locked into the game plan and any end game changes that happen um, on the sideline, like in between series. So I think that was the biggest thing, just staying locked in and making sure I was ready if I was ever kind of thrown into that situation. Well, when you were named the starter, you mentioned that your dad was going to fly down and watch you play. And I want to say your mom was at this game at Jacksonville. So what's it been like just having your family around? Have they been, are they going to be able to see a lot of your games or where are they traveling from when they're coming to watch you? Yeah. So my family's all back in Atlanta, my parents and my oldest sister are back there. And then my 
the middle sibling, my still older sister, because I'm the youngest. Uh, I have a sibling in Houston as well. So she's been out here a lot, along with my girlfriend. I've been to basically all the home games and then traveled to a couple of away games. But my dad's been really flying around to as many games as he can. And fortunately, I had a lot of a lot of family down at this past game in Jacksonville. Jacksonville, I have a lot of cousins down in South Georgia that were able to make a quick drive over. So that was good. I know you had your own little cheering section. That's amazing. I, when you were drafted, I remember you did a press conference and that's when everyone sort of learned about your sister who went to university of Houston mm-hmm. and you joked about crashing at her place. Cause she just bought a house. So I have to ask, did you, did you get your own place? Was the plan of crashing in her spare bedroom? I assume that has gone by the wayside by now, right? Oh yeah. I got my own place really after rookie mini camp ended. I found a spot to stay. My girlfriend moved out here with me as well. My sister, her house is really still being renovated. So she's not even moved into the new one yet. And hopefully that should be finished soon though. Have you been able to explore much of Houston at all? I know you're really busy being the quarterback and with all the meetings and everything, but how much of Houston have you gotten a chance to see? And and what do you like to do when you do have any free time? Um, Most of my free time has been either just trying to relax, watch movies or play video games. But I think the biggest thing exploring Houston that I've seen so far is really just like the food scene. I've tried to eat at a bunch of different restaurants and kind of figure out my go-to spots. So that's been really good. I'm excited in the off season though. I want to go down to the space center and maybe go see Galveston and just different things like that, that are a little farther out from really the inner loop. All right. So do you have your go-to spots? I think probably my favorite two would be El Tiempo and uh, MF Sushi, which is in the museum districts. I like that a lot. Those are some good choices. Well, you didn't go to college here. You went to Stanford. Your sister went to U of H. How did you end up at Stanford? Why'd you you go there? And and was that your first choice? Were there other colleges that you were looking at? Yeah. So um, luckily in in high school, I had a pretty good amount of colleges that were interested. And I kind of had options to go all over, but I felt Stanford was the best fit, um, both academically and athletically, because I, my parents kind of always instilled as us kids that, I mean, education first, if sports never work out, you need to fall back on your education and really um, capitalize off that. So I felt like Stanford was the best of both worlds. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure the classes at Stanford are really on a top notch, another level academically. So that leads me to wanting to know what you might think you would be doing if you weren't playing football. What do you think you'd be doing? I'm not sure entirely. I mean, obviously <laughs> I'm doing what uh, I'd like to be doing and that's playing football, playing quarterback, but I did intern one summer at Stanford in commercial real estate with CBRE. So maybe some sort of hmm. real estate investment or something in that realm. All right. Well, I, saw your Instagram and I've looked at your Instagram and you've curated it very nicely. It's all black and white pictures. And then you scroll and it's the color version, which aesthetically is very pleasing and very artistic. And, and I, it's, it's very organized. So how did you get the idea for that? I really have no clue. I think, (laughs) I think I started it maybe freshman year of college and just thought it looked cool and then kind of just rode with it. And I feel like I'm at the point now where I'm kind of just stuck in that box of everything has to be black and white. So who knows? I might switch it at some point, but I'm kind of just riding it. um, Yeah. My biggest, my biggest fear for you in that is that if you ever want to post a video highlight or a video, how will you do that? 
How will you do the video? I don't know. I I think <laughs> you have no videos right now. Have like there. the cover photo be black and white and then transition <laughs> to color, but I don't know. Yeah, black and white cover photo swipe, and then you get the color video. I think. Exactly. I mean, you, you could try that. You could start because you're gonna have some highlights. You might you might want to throw them up on your Instagram soon. <laughs> we'll All see. right. How about how about for yourself? You got a few games left uh, before the end of the rookie campaign. You know, what are some things that you want to work on? Some goals for yourself here in this final stretch of the season. I think just continue to go out and improve and really make all the players around me better. I think that's the the main role of the quarterback. And then score more touchdowns when we get down um, close to the end zone, try to capitalize on field position and get the ball in the end zone rather than having to kick field goals. Although, I mean, Kaimi's been doing a great job, but I think we can spread the ball around and get in the end zone ourselves as an offense. That field goal target line is is moving further and further know, down the field with Kaimi. There's so it's been a lot of fun to watch Davis and we're looking forward to the rest of the season. Thanks for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. There he is. Rookie quarterback Davis Mills. I feel bad calling him a rookie. I mean, he started a number of times, so I, he's still a rookie though. It's still his first year, but these next three games for Davis are just massive. Chargers, Niners, Titans, I think all three teams are going to end up in the playoffs. So he's getting an opportunity to see three playoff teams. Now, he shredded the Patriots at home. Hopefully he does that to the Chargers. But he has just looked more in control. He's taking profit when it's there. He's finding open receivers and making big plays against the Blitz, which he did against Jacksonville. That was absolutely a massive, massive play. Now, another guy who made big plays, and in fact, there is big news about, is Tremont Smith. It's time for Drew's Dozen next with the kickoff returner extraordinaire right here on Texans All Access. Now, I shouldn't have buried the lead, and I did, because COVID-19 has become such a big part of our lives. I had to give you the news of who went on the transaction list, but the biggest news of today happened when Tremont Smith was named AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Congrats! Tremont, 98-yard kickoff return, down a punt inside the five, had a special teams tackle, had a return out to the 33 as well. He was outstanding against the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's outstanding in this Drew's Dozen interview with Drew Doherty as well. Drew's Dozen time, and we're doing it with Tremont Smith, the reigning AFC special teams player of the week. You know, you were mic'd up before that game, and I've seen the, the first draft of the video, and it's pretty cool. You said, I'm itching to do something before you went out and busted that 98-yard kickoff return and did all the other great plays that you did on special teams because it wasn't just the, the touchdown. You sure scratched that itch, didn't you, huh? Yes, I had to. I just, I don't know. I kept Coach Baker. He does a good job of staying on me. So, like, if I don't have a tackle in a, in a game or two, like, all right, Tremont, I need you to show up. So, he does a good job of staying on me, you know, coaching me very well. And I just took all his details from practice, him and Frankie, and just went and put it out on the field. Yeah, Sean Baker's the assistant special teams coach. Frankie, as you mentioned, Frank Ross is the special teams coordinator. Both of them are in this video as well, very integral parts of it. Tell me first, I want to hear about both of them, but tell me first about what Baker means to you as a coach. Just for him playing the game, like he plays a couple years and just having that feel for the game, I feel like he really can connect with us players. Just And he's a younger guy too, so I feel like he can really connect with us. He knows the struggles that go out through go going through the season. He know how much the body hurts, whether than a coach that, you know, just coaches football, just coach football their whole life. He, they, he just knows the ins and outs of it. So I feel like that's what makes Bake so close with the players. 
And then with Ross, he was focused on coaching the game like you talk about and making sure everything was going on. But he also made a point during the game to say, hey, did you get that ball? Did you get the game ball that you scored with? Because he wanted to make sure you had that keepsake. That was pretty cool, I thought. Yeah, I got a I'm I'm on the equipment staff right now with Darwin and all them. I they I, it's not in my locker yet, but I know they got it for me. So I'm not too worried about it, but I would love to see it ASAP. <laughs> yeah, they're probably doctoring it up for you because yeah, I cleaning it up because it's a raining game, so they probably had to clean it up a little bit. Well, they probably had to, to write some things on it to oh, yeah, you know get the sure. get the stuff in there. Now it's very clear. There's there's some return men in the NFL who they're very track fast, they're very football fast, but you touch them and you know they're probably going to go down pretty quickly. You know they, they they're not able to run through the tackles as as much as some others can, as much as you can. I mean, you ran with violence on both of those, and the second one even more so. You trucked a guy. You obviously played a little bit of running back. Mm-hmm. You know, they tinkered with you doing that with the Chiefs a few years back, but you were all world quarterback in the state of Alabama in high school. Sure. We going to see you playing a little bit of offense at some point. I hope I, I really hope so. You know, I've been trying to I've been bugging TK about it. I haven't talked to Coach Cully much about it, but <laughs> I've definitely been in TK ear and he knows like, let's go. Let me get something. <laughs> it's good. It might be important with, with the stuff going on COVID wise. I mean, right. losing bodies left and right. You might have to, to step into the breach there. Yeah. Emergency receiver, quarterback, anything you need. I'm stow me out there. Yeah. You know, if you look at your bio, nobody scored more touchdowns in your high school's history than you. Right. So obviously I'm guessing this one that you just scored the other day is the biggest one of your life, but what were some of the most uh, unique ones you scored while you were back home in Alabama? I cherish my passing, my passing touchdowns the most when I played quarterback because yeah. I got labeled as a running quarterback. Everybody just thought I ran the ball. I mean, I had 20, 30 of 36 of my touchdowns, 20 of them was rushing, but that's just because, I mean, why not? Yeah. But I, I cherish my passing touchdowns the most. It's a deep ball. I probably threw it like 60 in the air on the sideline. My One of my receivers ended up toe-tapping it, and it was just – it was off the scramble, too, so I, I feel like that was one of my favorite plays coming out of high school. Hopefully, there's some other teams watching this right now and they're thinking, oh, no, we got to worry about Tremont Smith coming into the game and throwing the ball, so maybe they're right. going to spend extra practice time now yeah. coming up with certain defensive packages when they think you might be out there, but who knows? We'll see from there. Okay, who's your all-time favorite NFL player? Eric Berry. How come? Uh, I watched him when I was in middle school. You know, that's when he was at Tennessee. I used to wear 14 just like him, used to play a little bit of safety, the nickelback position. So, I don't know, I always grew up watching him, and he always just stood out to me. And then, you know, I got drafted to Kansas City in 2018. So, when I first seen him, I was I was amazed for, like, probably two days. Like, he was just – he had to come t- tell me, like, calm down, bro. You're in this position now. Like, <laughs> you're going to see me every day. But, no, nah, he's a great guy. I just – and I love his journey. His story is, is unmatched. Like It's remarkable. Yes. Yeah, yeah the, the stuff he went through there at the end and then to come back, I mean, that's – that's pretty cool. And then to have someone like you, he had to tell you to calm down. That yeah. did you, you guys have, have a good laugh about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got over the fanboy stage, so That's we're good. all good now. What was your first job ever? Concession stand at, at like, baseball, little baseball rate games. Yeah? First thing I did, yes, sir. What was the one item that you hated to have to, to make or get? I used to, like, make the popcorn. I used to hate that. Like it takes forever. Getting the popcorn, yeah. But mainly I did the – I just, like, took the money – at the at the gate so it wasn't too hard on me one too bad i got little kids and we've had to put some rules and limits on what they can get at the concession stand because we'll get to the front of the line and there'll be 40 people behind us right and my son will like order the thing that's it has like 15 ingredients and they're gonna cook it like you get a bubble gum or a coke oh that's not here nor there hey you were born on july 20th lots of famous people born on that date you got alexander the great you had giselle Mm. bunchen tom brady's wife 
Ben Simmons, Shaquille and Shaquem Griffin, the twins. You played against one of them this oh, weekend. I I played, you're that. on the same field as one of them. Where do you rank in that group of July 20th birthdays? Let's, let's rank the best. Who do you think? Put me in the top three. As long as I'm in the top okay. three, I'll take it. My mom, was, my mom was born on July 20th as, as well. We have the same birthday, so. Son of a gun. What would you, add it. How would you guys celebrate growing up? We didn't celebrate. I mean, we'll just, you know, hang around family, be around family a lot, eat good. That was the main, main thing we did, just make sure. I make sure somebody cooked my grandma or great-grandma, somebody cooked for me. What is she? What was what's what did your great grandma cook? Like my favorite thing she makes is grilled cabbage. It might sound weird, but it's amazing. Yeah, a little hot sauce on it. It's perfect. All that's right. literally I go home when I go home. That's all I'm asking for. Grilled cabbage with a little hot sauce, huh? With a little hot sauce, yes, sir. Birthday cake favorite? Did you have one? I don't like birth. I'm, I'm not too big on sweets. I like I, so if I did get a cake, it'll be an ice cream cake, and I oh, get yeah. like a couple of bites of it just to say I had a cake. But I've never been a cake guy. Okay, fair enough. You like the cabbage? It's to yeah. each his own. We yeah, like, yeah, I like we my like. greens. Like my yeah. greens. <laughs> That's good. I bet Lad, the head of sports nutrition, is a big fan of that. That's good. Yeah, I, I give them a hard time. I love giving them a hard time in there. They do a great job, though. They sure do. Yeah. Do you remember your best Christmas gift you ever got? Oh, I got a little moped when I was probably like 12. Wrecked it the same day. Ooh. Same day, literally. Christmas day. But it was fun while it lasted. It lasted probably like two, three hours. <laughs> <laughs> and it. It, was it like wrecked beyond repair or it was well, it was just wrecked and my mom was like all right you're not you don't need that again you're not about to hurt yourself on this i'm going down hills hitting jumps and everything it was you know <laughs> I was a little adrenaline junkie <laughs> yeah 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 that's for sure if you were not a football player what would you be doing i like real estate I, i'm slowly getting into real estate and like selling like just selling and looking at houses buying houses flipping houses i, I think i'll do that because i'm it, it's slowly growing on me now do you do a lot of the handiwork on some of these flips? Not handy at all. No. Not handy at all. Not my job somebody else. Yeah, not my <laughs> job description. That's my favorite answer. Fair, fair enough. Yeah. I can change light bulbs and hang some stuff, but I'm not uh I'm not too I won't handy. Even, I won't mount my TV or none of that. I need to hire somebody for all of that. Understandable. You want to have <laughs> yeah. a good view, you don't want to screw it up and right. Uh, I don't want to then I have OCD. I don't want my TV to be crooked by any means. So. I'm with you. I'm with you there. Okay, favorite exercise in the weight room and your least favorite exercise? My least favorite is squat, which is our head strength coach's favorite. Right. And my favorite one, I don't know, I like the, like the single leg RDLs, just something to power up my legs. So I still, like, I don't like, I don't mind doing legs, but it's just something about that squat rack being on my back. Uh, makes you're your one, body. You're one of the few skill position guys that's ever really said squats is not his favorite. Everybody else is... They love, like, they love doing the squats. I think it's because they like wearing those short shorts and showing off their yeah, thighs. Yeah, try to show off their little thigh muscles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, this is a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking some time, especially in a week when you had such a, a big-time game. I mean, I, I've been here since 2009. I don't remember a better collective effort by the entire special teams unit than what we saw. I mean, you guys were an impressive and really influential force in the game. So congratulations on that. It was really cool. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Tremont, for being, well, the great player and great dude that you are. Merry Christmas and happy holidays as well. All right, that's one hour down. We got one hour left to go when we get back. So where are they now with Drew Doherty? Fred Weary, former offensive lineman for you, Houston, Texas. That's next on Texas All Access. We've got one hour down, one hour left to go on this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I am your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And I want to remind you that tickets are available for remaining home games. Single game tickets available for 
the Chargers game, for the Titans game, visit HoustonTexans.com slash tickets to experience that football feeling at NRG Stadium. Now, a guy that experienced that while he was a member of the Texans is Fred Weary, former offensive lineman, played at the University of Tennessee. That's where I saw him in college before he joined the Texans. Well, he joined Drew Doherty for a little Wednesday, where are they now? Drew, take it away. Fred Weary is the guest on Where Are They Now? It's great to see you as always, Fred. I don't get to see you as much as I uh, I would like. You know, we've brushed paths a couple times. You played before I got here in 2009, but you were a very important part in the early days of this organization, and we're going to get into that. But tell me first, where are you these days, and what exactly are you doing, man? Oh, man, I appreciate it, Drew. I'm actually still here in Houston. I live in the Manville, Texas area. Man, I guess I what, retired from playing uh, 2010. Uh, immediately, um, when I got done uh, got done playing, I kind of got involved with the community, with the youth. Mm-hmm. I have a Mad Lima Foundation uh, that I started where I worked with, you know, uh, kids in the community. I have a youth football league, uh, the Shadow Creek Titans youth football team. You and Petey Fagans, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yep, me and Coach, Coach Petey. <laughs> That's what they call him. Not Coach Petey, exactly right. But, yeah, man, we uh, mentor and work with kids uh, with the game of football. Uh, actually, boys and girls, we have a cheer program as well from the ages of 5 to 12. How much fun is that? Man, it's, it, it is a joy. You know what I mean? I, I really enjoy playing the game and experiencing that part of it. But when you drop back down to this level and you're working with kids and teaching them the game, man, that's that's even more fun for me. And I think that's a, a lot of other former players. They're doing the same thing. Wade Smith, uh, Chris White, Travis Johnson. I think he was coaching for a little time with his son as well, man. So uh, when you drop back down and, and kind of, you know, kind of have to redirect uh, how to play the game, you know, with those young kids, man, it's, 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 it's something to see. And then for them to take it on, to the junior high school level, to the high school level. Uh, I have a couple of kids that I've worked with uh, as well uh, that's playing on the college level right now. Uh, Terrence Cooks, he just uh, committed to TCU. And also um, so, um, A.J. Abbott, uh, he's out in the University of Oregon playing quarterback. So you see those kids go and, you know, uh, take it to that level and stuff, man. It's an appreciation for you as a coach and as a former player. Man, congratulations. That's really awesome to hear that, that those guys that, that- – some of the kids that you've helped uh, have gone that far. And let's rewind. <laughs> let's go back to the college days. You were a Tennessee volunteer when the volunteers were bullies, man. They were really, really good. You were a big reason why you're a part of that. It's been tough for them lately. But tell me about your college days and when you might might have thought you might become a Texan when you might have thought you might become a pro. What was that like, that transition from being where you were at Tennessee heading into the NFL? Man, uh, it sucks. I went to college in 1997, graduated from high school, signed with the University of Tennessee in 1997. And you're exactly right. You know, when I was looking at, you know, colleges, I wanted to go to an established program uh, where I felt that, you know, the the coaching situation uh, was good as well and stuff. So, I think, uh, you know, I fared out very well on that choice and, you know, to being on that campus uh, in 1997 and throughout, you know, with the likes of, you know, Peyton Manning, uh, Leonard Little, Al Wilson, Jamal Lewis, Peerless Price, uh, you know, a lot of those guys, I mean, really laid the foundation for me and all and stuff uh, as a, you know, as a freshman coming in and whatnot and stuff. So, you know, to being able to lean on, you know, those type players and, and, and kind of, you know, 
uh, watch the game and see the game through them meant a lot to me and all this stuff. And so, you know, that that inspired me right off when I stepped on campus, you know, wanting to take it to another level. And then for guys like that, you know, to see Peyton coming back in the summer, uh, Al Wilson, Jonathan Brown, Marcus Nash, those guys who, who went on to play in the NFL and to come back in the summertime and work out and to be able to sit and have conversations with those guys and stuff about, you know, what it was like playing at the next level. I mean, there was more, even more motivation of why, you know, you go to class and do the right thing. You bust your, work, you bust your butt in the weight room, you bust your butt on the practice field and all this stuff to, you know, to be able to take your game to that next level. Yeah, you know, the Texans wind up taking you in the third round of that first draft that they had, the first first college draft. They had brought in the expansion guys for the expansion draft and they'd signed some free agents, but you're part of that first, you know, rookie draft class. Tell me about draft weekend for you then, because it was a lot different than it is now. Obviously, it's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday day affair. Back then, it was Saturday and Sunday during the days. What was it like for you? What what happened? Oh, man, it was a great time. Um, you know, one of the things that I did, I we, we did a little celebration uh, at my sister's house and stuff. We brought invited a lot of family members over. Uh, we sat around, watched the draft. The day went kind of long, <laughs> I have to say, from talking with my agent and you know, kind of the input we were getting, you know, thinking maybe early second round, mid, you know, second round somewhere that I would have probably been off the board. And, you know, the second round went, I think I, I, I was had walked to the kitchen and my mom told me my phone was ringing. And, you know, one of the things I had the phone ring and I come back and get it. And I was like, I might want to pick up this call right here. <laughs> and it was um, it was Coach Capers and everything on the phone. And, you know, he asked me that I want to be a Texan. I told him, I tell you what, I've been waiting on you guys and all this stuff. So it, it was a it was a dream come true and everything to you know, look from, you know, uh, high school to college and everything, a, a lot of things that I went through and to be able to push through. So it was one of those kind of moments that, you you know, you really kind of just sit back and just have to be very thankful for. That was really uncharted waters for pretty much everybody involved in a lot of ways. So you just mentioned a few moments ago how some of those former volunteers would come back and you chit chat with them in the summer times and get a lot of info on what it was like to be in the NFL. But those guys weren't on an expansion franchise. What was, how did that jive with what you actually experienced? What you heard from them, how'd that jive with your experiences early on as a Texan? What was it like for you after you'd gotten drafted? I mean, pretty much, you know, I, I felt like I had the blueprint, the blueprint and all mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, you really want to attach to some guys who are doing it the right way and all and stuff. And so to be able to come in that locker room with, you know, guys like Ryan Young, Gary Walker, Seth Payne, man, Jamie Sharp, Kali Wong, I mean, Aaron Glenn. And, you know, I think those those were pros and pros, you know what yeah. I mean? So, you know, right right off the back, kind of already had that blueprint, you know, hey, these are the type of guys that you want to, you know, kind of, uh, uh, follow behind. You want to get right behind them, and you know what you want to try to do, whatever they, uh, what they're doing. Because you know you talk about guys that was on there, you know, eighth, ninth, tenth year in the league, and all at that time. So if anybody knows what it takes to be a pro and all this stuff, uh, you know, you want to be able to kind of get in line with those guys. So it was, and I think that was a great part of, of being an expansion team to be able to come into the locker room, especially for a rookie like myself, Chester. Uh, David Carr, you know, Jonathan Wells, a lot of those guys for us to come in there and to be in the locker room with, you know, those caliber players um, and to be able to, you know, to learn something from them about being professional and stuff was, was great. What was your experience during the 19 to 10 game? What was that like for you? 
man, which is a first NFL star playing one of the teams that I grew up loving. I was a big Cowboys fan. I loved yep. Emmitt Smith. I loved that offensive line uh, that the Cowboys had at that time. I mean, it was, it, man, it was, that, that was phenomenal. I think, you know, outside of winning the, uh, the national championship in 1998, I think that was probably one of my, uh, next favorite moments of, you know, my, my, my playing career and all and stuff. And just the way that a lot of people, well, uh, if you from Houston, you knew how it went down, but uh, I think the Cowboys came down the weekend, I think prior, or one of those weekends prior, we scrimmaged them on, over at U of H. Yep. And I'm talking about, they absolutely just, you know, just ragged all and slapped us around and, you know, they pretty much left that weekend, you know, feeling like, you know what, this game's over with and all and stuff, man. But it was just something about that atmosphere that Sunday night and all and stuff. It was, I'm talking about leading from when I woke up that morning, uh, leading all the way up to that game. It was just a mistake about it. And, you know, we kind of knew that, you know, hey, if we went out there and played our bus off, that we would have had an opportunity to win it and all and stuff. And to win it that way, Sunday night against America's team, you know, I always, you know, tell any Cowboys fan that I run into here in Houston, and all, you know what? Hey, I got my first NFL win off you guys. <laughs> that's not a bad way to do it either. I mean, that right. was, that's one of the most fun games I've ever watched. You know, I was, I'm from here. I grew up an Oilers fan and I'm just, I'm one year older than you. So I, I had gone to school in Dallas and spent my first four years out of school in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched that game with a lot of Cowboys fans. Cause I was living in Dallas. I was, we had a party for it and I was like one of the only you know, Houstonians. And so I was pretty obnoxious and that was pretty yeah. fun. Oh uh, yeah. It was great. Right out of college guy. What was it like? You're one of, I mean, you could probably count on maybe one hand, two, perhaps you're one of only like a few players that was here from the very beginning. And you were here through 2007, which that team wound up becoming, you know, a 500 team. What was that process like for you? That's a pretty big upheaval when you have a new head coach come in, you have a new general manager come in. You, you survived that. What was it like seeing those rough early years and then, you know, kind of turning that corner and you thought you'd almost turn that corner in 04 because you go to seven and nine and, right. and then everything went down the way it did. Yeah, man, it was, you know, this is what they say, man. You have to uh, trust the process and all this stuff. And, you know, early on, I mean, it was about, you know, for me as a rookie coming in, uh, after that first season, you know, I mean, really and truly the way that locker room got cleaned out, you know, uh, immediately, you know, guys like me, Chester, you know, people were coming in into the building looking looking up to us and, and all and stuff wow. because, you know, um, uh, we were kind of the, 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 I guess you can say, uh, one-year veterans at that point and all and stuff, just the way the turnover is in the NFL. And then, you know, year in and year out, you know, you, we, we, you know, you see yourself uh, um, uh, getting to know new, more teammates. And then again, you become the older here and mm-hmm. all and stuff. And so, you know, even coming through Don Capers, I really appreciated Coach Capers, everything uh, that he taught me about the game during that time. Really enjoyed it. And then kind of moving on to, you know, Coach Kubiak, man, that was a, a, another great experience for me because, you know, I got an opportunity to play for a coach that actually played the game also. And all this stuff. And so kind of, you know, uh, I learned a lot from Coach Kubiak and everything during that time as well and stuff. So, uh, but, you know, kind of just taking the, the, the organization, uh, you know, putting them on the map and also kind of just setting that 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 tradition for the organization and stuff was very, uh, very important to me and everything and stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of times it didn't, you know, uh, 
turned into, you know, the W's and the, and, and the win columns and whatnot. But, you know, what? hey, we were building something and all and stuff. And so uh, even uh, kind of when I, I left the team and to see once they finally got over that hump, you know what I mean, that, that really – Man, that really meant something to me because, again, you know, it was about uh, about laying the bricks to that that foundation and also kind of stacking those bricks and everything to that success as well. So, with all that in mind, and if you put the the win over the Cowboys aside there in the the opener, what's one of your favorite Texans memories? Otherwise, probably uh, every time that Andre Johnson caught the ball. <laughs> <laughs> when well, he was, was something, you know, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, man, just you know, playing. Uh, uh, um, playing with, you know, that caliber player, just seeing the team, you know, kind of just each year get better and all the stuff. Uh, I know, you know, kind of the, the things the way they are this year, but you know what, this is still a great organization, first class organization and all this stuff. I mean, I, you know, I went on to, you know, uh, one year uh, with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I've talked to other guys, you know, has spent multiple years with other, other, other teams and just here to, the conversation be different and everything as far as, you know, hey, how their uh, their ownership was, you know, how their ownership treated their players and, and how the experience that I had as a Texan from the, you know, from the very, from the very start, it was a first-class organization. And, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know any other way and, and all this stuff. And so uh, that was one of the, you know, things that I appreciated because, you know, hey, some places aren't that way and stuff. And the Texans have always been a very welcome organization. That's a good point. I, li- I like to hear that. That's cool. You also just brought up Andre Johnson, and I'm going to ask a very, very obvious question, but I want to make sure more people can hear this. Is Andre Johnson a Hall of Famer? Absolutely. Thank Absolutely. You. Yeah. Absolutely. I was uh, talking with my son uh, actually this morning and stuff about, you know, uh, uh, being a leader. You know, he's a senior in high school, and I was talking about being a leader. And I'll tell you what, you know, one of the guys that I never heard say one word and was a leader was Andre Johnson. I mean, he led with the way that he carried himself on and off the field and stuff. And, you know, that's the type of, that's what, I mean, that's what Hall of Famers do and all that stuff. I mean, you know, the play on the field speak for itself. I mean, but he's even a better person and all that stuff. And, you know, like I, you know, like I said, I mean, it wasn't too many words you got out of him, out of him. But I tell you what, man, when it came time and it was showtime, it, he was always ready to go. Oh, yeah. And when he did speak, man, something profound usually was coming out of his mouth. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I take it you still kind of – you see him. We heard you see Coach Petey from time to time. What other former <laughs> teammates, former Texans, do you kind of keep in touch with and, and see for, for here and there? Brand Norris, uh, we we keep in touch a good little bit. He's always trying to come and get me to go work out with him. He's a boxer, <laughs> man. You got to – yeah, we, we covered him. We've gone to the gym with him, seen him work out <laughs> in the ring, man. He's You got to be yeah. careful. Oh yeah, Moran Norris, uh, Chester Pitts. Chester, uh, the great Chester yeah, Pitts. Yeah, we stay in contact with Chester Pitts, uh, Mr. Uh, Travis Johnson, and everything. Yep. Uh, keep in contact with him, uh, Alfred Malone, uh, Milford Brown. Uh, you know, we were from the same hometown, so mm-hmm. we we stay very, you know, in contact a lot together and all this stuff, man. But you know, uh, Steve McKinney and all, we always reach out. So. Fred Weary, it's always cool to talk with former Texans and. Uh, Always cool to talk with the original Texans. You're both of those, and we appreciate you taking some time. It's a Where Are They Now featuring Fred Weary. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Go Texans. Oh, yeah, man. Go Texans. Thank you, Fred. Appreciate you being on the show. Drew, excellent job with Where Are They Now? Well, where are the Chargers? Well, they'll be coming to Houston 
this weekend to take on the Houston Texans. Haley Elwood covers the Chargers for Chargers.com. She's a team reporter. She joins us next with DP Sidhu as we go behind enemy sidelines right here on Texans All Access. All Access. All Access. It has been absolutely beautiful outside. And I love to eat outside. And one of the places I know I can eat outside that I absolutely adore is Freddy's Frozen Custard and Steak Burgers. Freddy's is all about the good and creating more of it. More drive through celebrations, more road trips around the block, more family dinners and lunches, more carb picnics and desserts, maybe even more second desserts, more being together as much as we can And that's really important right now. With 17 area locations in the Houston area, Freddy's keeps the good going with the taste that brings you back. It's always calling my name. I know that is a fact. And I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. So glad you are with me. It's time to go behind enemy sidelines. Learn a little bit about the L.A. Super... No, it's not quite. Not quite. San Diego Superchargers sounded better. L.A. Chargers, that just has a nice ring to it. Haley Elwood covers the Chargers for Chargers.com. She's a team reporter, and she caught up with our reporter extraordinaire, D.P. Sidhu, going behind enemy sidelines. D.P., take it away. It's enemy sidelines presented by Microsoft. Joining me this week, Haley Elwood. She's a team reporter for the Los Angeles Chargers. Haley, welcome in. I know the Chargers are going to have about 10 days off before they play this game on Sunday against the Texans. It can never be easy losing in overtime to a division rival, but what's the mood like for the Chargers heading into this game? Yeah, well, first off, thank you so much for having me on. It's so good to see you, albeit virtually. We haven't done our combine thing in quite a while. but No, we haven't. I know. It's good to connect this way. But, yeah, so obviously that, that loss on Thursday night against the Kansas City Chiefs did drop this Chargers team to 8-6. and six, But the mood is actually great. It's actually really fine. And after the game, even head coach Brandon Staley said, hey, our outlook would not have changed whether we won this game or lost this game. And when you look at sort of just that steady hand and steady consistency, This is a team throughout this season that has sort of weathered highs and lows. They've had some bumps in the road, but they've been able to overcome those and really gotten them in a great position right now. They are in wild card standing as we sit here in week 16. But while that game didn't go the way that they had hoped and probably anticipated, it's on to the next. And that's against the Texans this week. Yeah, they've certainly had some big close losses this year. And then we saw the news on Monday that Joey Bosa will be out for Sunday's Mm -hmm. game. I mean, I know a guy like that is hard to replace, but how do you replace a guy like that on defense and and who's going to have to step up for him? Yeah. The thing about Joey too, is even though he is now accrued years in this league, he is the longest, I'm sorry, second longest tenured charger, original charger on this team next to Keenan Allen, but he's got an NFL leading six strip sacks. So his production will certainly be missed. But when you look at who could replace him, look to a guy like Uchenna Nuosu, who is currently, he has stated having the best playing the best football of his career. At this point, he had a strip sack on Joe Burrow against the Bengals. He had his first career interception against Patrick Mahomes last Thursday night, which eventually led to a touchdown on the next offensive play. He has just really been a force out there. But Brandon Staley said, look, along with someone probably like Uchenna, it's going to be a team operation. This team, this defense has had a lot of substitutions, a lot of different hybrid type groupings, as Staley calls it, throughout the season, whether it's been injuries or COVID. So this team has certainly dealt with next man up, and it's certainly going to be that this week again. Yeah, and let's talk about head coach Brandon Staley. I mean, it's his first year, and he's led this team to an 8-6 and record. You know, what is the most surprising thing about him as head coach? Yeah, I think one of the things that that he's had certainly a meteoric rise. That was a phrase that's been used to describe him 
when he got hired by the Bolts. But when you look at what he's brought to this team, it really comes down to building relationships and building camaraderie. He's huge on that. He's talked about it even when he's spoken to the staff, that that's a big part of his philosophy. One of the things he also has talked about too throughout this whole season is really kind of communicating with players, but on a different level of, of talking to them about what he thinks works for them, types of plays that works, getting their sort of mindset and MO on going into a game and being like, hey, against this opponent, let's run this, let's go with this. And that sort of camaraderie breeds trust. And you've seen that. And you've seen that even when kind of times have gotten tough and in late game situations, I think against maybe the Cleveland Browns where that game became a complete shootout, but this team ended up holding and, and holding on strong. You can look to that Sunday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers as well. That sort of camaraderie that he's brought and bred has really made a huge difference on this team. I even look at someone, I, I wrote a note down here of, of Justin Jones, defensive tackle who talked or, or just spoke earlier this week and, and said, you know, despite that loss that they had on Thursday, he's like, I love the guys in this room. I love this locker room. These are the guys I want to go to war with every game day. And I think that really starts at the top and that starts with Staley and that's something that he's brought and whether you're on offense or defense, it's just radiated throughout this locker room. All right. Well, he comes in, he inherits a quarterback in Justin yeah. Herbert, who was just coming off a phenomenal rookie year. And then I just saw recently he became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw at least 30 touchdown passes in his first two seasons. He did it in week 14. So he gets Justin Herbert. I mean, I have to imagine that can't be easy for a rookie quarterback to change head coaches, but what has he done to sort of help Herbert make that leap from year one to year two and keep things as consistent as he can keep them considering there was a, a coaching staff change. Yeah. And a guy who Herbert actually really said he, who credits, I think with his development is now with you guys and Pep Hamilton as well. But when you look at Justin Herbert, I, I when you were saying that I was kind of like, not rolling my eyes, but just going, it, it really does feel almost like every week it's a new record for him and something that he's breaking or doing that has never been done before. And when you look at what sort of Staley's influence on him has been, it really from the get-go was we want to build this offense around Justin. We look at, we've seen what he can do. We saw what he did his rookie season. Let's build it. Let's take it to another level. He surrounded him with an offensive coordinator and Joe Lombardi, who's accrued a lot of years in this league, specifically working with the New Orleans Saints for a multitude of those and working with a guy from the Charger and Drew Brees, but just really kind of getting that sort of veteran presence with him. Also, again, that collaboration, that discussion, Brandon Staley is a former quarterback as well, who primarily now coaches defense, but has that sort of all 22 view. So really it came down to sort of building the offense around him. And you've seen that and you've seen that progression. And I think even though statistically he is doing things that have never been done before, it's impressive still to see his poise out there because he is still so young. And I think uh, Chris Harry, our other team reporter, and I have talked about this in some of the games that maybe haven't gone the Chargers way. You look at the Baltimore loss, the New England loss. Sometimes you forget that Herbert is only in his second season, but really he is doing things that you just kind of sit and marvel at. And he is such a great leader for this team. And I think when you look at franchises, you look at maybe the Niners, the Packers, when you go from one great quarterback to the next, these Charger fans are really lucky that this has worked out so far for them to go from Philip Rivers to Justin Herbert. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned Pep Hamilton, who has a rookie in Davis Mills that he's working with this year. Like you mentioned, he worked with Herbert last year when he was a rookie. 
What was his role with him and how did that relationship sort of develop? What has Herbert had to say about that? Yeah, he was the quarterback's coach with the Chargers. And I think he came in, you look at the resume that Pep had working with someone like Andrew Luck in Indianapolis. He was such a great guy to come in and, and work with Justin Herbert. Their relationship was really strong. And, and like I said, Justin credits Pep with a lot of the success that he had. I was up in Oregon this past summer uh, at Justin at Herbert's golf tournament, his first annual golf tournament that he had. And Pep was there. And I thought that was really cool to see that, you know, Eugene, Oregon, not exactly a destination spot in the summer, but to go up for Pep to go up. <laughs> From I Houston, think. it is perhaps. <laughs> That's accurate. Yeah. The humidity was non-existent there. Right. So that was, that was lovely. But, um, but I just thought that was really cool. And it just kind of shows you the bond that they did have. And I think that was just a really great sort of mentorship role for someone like Pep to come in and have that. And I'm sure it's working. You know, I know Davis Mills got his first win last week against the Jaguars, but I'm sure that's just a great hub to kind of have and to huddle up with, especially when you're beginning your NFL career. All right. Austin Eckler, he's been a huge red zone target for Herbert this year. Ten rushing touchdowns, seven receiving touchdowns. We saw earlier in the week that maybe he might be on the COVID list. Maybe he could play. Maybe he might not play. But if he doesn't play, how do you replace a guy like Eckler in that offense? Yeah, this is an interesting situation and one to watch. A lot of days left to get to before Sunday. Look to a guy like Justin Jackson. Justin Jackson had 86 rushing yards versus the Chiefs. He really came alive. He is someone throughout his NFL career has just dealt with injuries. But when he's healthy, he really, really is slippery out there. He was breaking tackles. He was shaking tackles against Kansas City last week. And to me, as someone who's been with this team for a while, when the, the Chargers, excuse me, played the Steelers, I want to say in 2018, Justin Jackson had the game of his life in that game. So really look to him. I know this team is kind of looking to solidify that number two running back. It's It's been a sort of work by committee approach between Justin Jackson, Joshua Kelly, Larry Roundtree. But Jackson seems to be now the leader in the clubhouse. And if he's healthy this week, he'll certainly be that go for them for sure. All right. Well, a guy that you guys know very well that we've gotten to know very well over the course of the year, Desmond King. I know he was traded to the Titans last year, but he spent a lot of time with the Chargers as well. He's doing some great things um, on punt returns and on defense back in the secondary. What do you remember about your time with uh, Desmond King and what he was able to do when he was with the Chargers? Yeah, that was actually really what he did well for the Bolts as well. He was one of those, uh, the defensive backs in the Chargers room. I know that they've lost a couple of pieces, Desmond being one of them, but they used to be known as the Jack boys where they would just, you know, jack things up if you will jack take interceptions do all of that i'm not going to get into semantics it's not thing, <laughs> we get where, where you're going but with you can get yeah. where i'm going with that but he certainly kind of brought that spark as specifically i think of when he was paired up with derwin and what they could do together um i have a great desmond story actually back before covid was non-existent i used to do a thing where i'd we would do ride along so i'd ride home with a guy we'd have a trail car follow us we'd you know once we got there pick up go back to the facility and Desmond was such a great sport. And I remember he, uh, we did the interview. He was great. He was in an awesome mood. He was super fun. And, and he had looked at me and he goes, you caught me on a good day, Haley. And I was like, really glad to do it <laughs> because I know that not everyone wants to do things like this, but it's just those moments. He was really fun to work with. Um, it'll be a great reunion to see what he can do. Obviously a different quarterback that he's going to go up against because he only knew Philip, but, um, but really, really good uh, opportunity. And, and it should be a fun one out there watching him battle. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like not much has changed because we've done radio with him. He's always great. It's not his favorite thing to yeah. do, but I was like, 
you need to do this more. You're really good yeah. at and stuff. You're really good on camera. So I don't know. We'll see. We planted, planted the seed, but Haley, always a pleasure. You are fantastic on camera as always and on radio, wherever you are. Looking forward to seeing your content. Haley, team reporter for the Los Angeles Chargers. Looking forward to seeing the Chargers here on Sunday, week 16. Thank you so much for having me, DP. I appreciate it. Gotta love it. DP, Haley, great job. Appreciate you being on the show. All right, we got one segment left. So we got a little Houston Methodist minutes. And normally it is sprained ankle. It's a wrist. It's a finger. Well, this one is about COVID. And it's pretty important. And it's a pretty good one, Mark said. So I can't wait to hear this one. And Drew Doherty's final word with Tremont Smith. All next on Texas All Access. 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 We got one final segment of this Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. It's going to be our last. Well, I guess tomorrow night's Texans All Access as well. It's just a little different. Me, Mark, the general, will have you for Thursday, 6 to 7, just prior to Titans v. 49ers on Sports Radio 610. But no show on Friday, given everything that's gone on. Uh, so we will not be here on Friday. So we got to get a lot in. We got to get our Houston Methodist minutes in. And this one, really important one on COVID. Everyone, welcome to Houston Methodist Minutes. Mark Vandermeer with you, joined by Dr. Cesar Arias, Chief of Infectious Diseases at Houston Methodist. Doctor, tell us about Omicron. Here it is among us, sweeping through Houston, the entire country, the world, really. It seems like this is far more contagious than original COVID or the Delta variant, but might not be as severe. What can you tell us about that? The data clearly show that your first assumption is correct, slightly correct. This is definitely a much more transmissible virus um, that is um, similar to other very highly transmitted virus like measles, for example, and much more mm -hmm. transmissible than the previous versions of this coronavirus. So the evidence, I think, is, is now clear that definitely a highly infectious and highly transmissible virus. On the second assumption of, of a sort of severity of infection, I think the jury is, out, is still out there and I will cautious people on the assumption that this is going to be a mild disease. Maybe mild for some, if you think about with Delta, mild for some, but this also still poses a significant risk. And, and, and it's important to uh, understand that the data we have are from other countries with different situations. Uh, we still don't have a lot of data. There are some good signals of, of hospitalization, not as impacted as we had before with Delta. Um, however, I, I, I would not risk it and I would still um, advice that the best way to deal with this is not to get it. Doctor, is the symptomology the same? Are we still talking about fever, pain in the lungs, tightness in the lungs, all the other symptoms that we got to know with what we originally knew as COVID-19? Yeah, in general, it's, it's very similar, like what we call the flu-like symptoms. It's curious that the, the loss of a smell and that sort of symptoms seems to be less prominent with this variant than with the others. Um, 
So it's, it's, it's much more so congestion, nasal congestion and, and you know, cough and, and some uh, upper respiratory symptoms to start with. Um, so, you know, so the flu-like symptoms will be very similar. So it will be very difficult to differentiate. And I just want to say that I, I believe right now in the United States, most likely the majority, the vast majority of infection are due to Omicron uh, that you know, has surpassed all the other variants at the moment. Doctor, does your data indicate that the vaccines are effective against Omicron? And if so, how effective? What do we know so far about vaccines and the booster against this new variant? There is a clear, uh, the data clearly points out that people who are unvaccinated, not vaccinated, are a much higher risk for severe disease, hospitalization, and death with this variant, as probably will apply to other variants. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the people who have had a vaccine with two doses, and I'm just going to call this the number of doses instead of starting calling these boosters, because uh, I think it's probably a misnomer, because that means you probably need certain number of doses for full protection. So people who have had two doses, they will have some protection, probably protection against uh, uh, bad outcomes, but are not sufficient enough as you had with other variants. So this uh, variant with the two doses will be much more prone to, uh, to get you ill and, 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 uh, and the degree of illness will vary depending on who you are, what your condition, those health conditions. So not enough protection, I would say. The best protection by far that they suggest is to have the third doses that people call the booster. So in order to prevent this, I strongly recommend, strongly recommend that everyone take a booster, regardless of age or conditions or where you got COVID or not. I think that's the best way to prevent this infection from happening. And still mask up and do those things, take those kinds of precautions, spread out, socially distance, all the stuff we've been hearing about for a long time. In this moment, particularly of high community transmission that we are expecting with these new highly transmissible viruses, remember that you know one measure is not sufficient. So, mm-hmm. so if you are protected, you have your third dose, you wear masks, you are cautious on where you're going, um, and, and that is going to be put you in a very good position to try to avoid an infection. You know, every single, is, every single measure is sort of a layer of protection. So you are sort of uh, in, in, a, in a very good place if you do all these things. Um, sometimes these things are difficult to maintain and avoidable. But at the moment, I am very cautious and I'm putting together people. I think we're going to have a very bad wave in January and they are coming. The holidays are going to spark all these infections. And I expect that January will not be a very pleasant, um, um, you know, month for either of us. Well, doctor, thank you very much for the information. We do appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Dr. Cesar Arias, Chief of Infectious Diseases at Houston Methodist. Read up on coronavirus, on Omicron, on all of it at HoustonMethodist.org. The official health care provider of your Houston Texans, Houston Methodist Leading Medicine. What I love is the opportunity to pick up the phone, call somebody over at Houston Methodist. They join us on the air and give us 
the latest information, the best information. Appreciate the great doctors from Houston Methodist and, of course, Mark, for giving us that in our final segment of tonight's show. Now, it's time for our Schlumberger Stats Challenge, and the stat is two. It's actually a by the numbers, two. Kaimi Fairbairn, who unfortunately went on COVID-19 reserve list today, had not one but two 51-yard field goals in the second quarter against the Jacksonville Jaguars. A 51-yarder, I'm sorry, a 52-yarder through the raindrops, hard rain too, and then a 51-yarder right at the buzzer, two 51-plus-yard field goals for Kaimi Fairbairn. He's had a heck of a season. That was a 61-yarder last week against the Seahawks, 51 and 52-yarders against the Jags. So there's another, by the numbers, a little three. And that's brought to you by Schlumberger. All right, it's, fi- it's time for the final word. And this week, Drew Doherty caught up with our guy, Tremont Smith. This pregame interview is powered by Reliant. Drew Doherty with a guy who's having a pretty darn good week. It's Tremont Smith. You play corner. You had an excellent week on special teams. The AFC special teams player of the week. Okay, you score that first touchdown, and that in and of itself probably wins you the award. But on top of that, you down a punt at the four-yard line, and the defense responds with a three and out and really kind of helps seal the game. You also start the second half by dropping Jadon Mickens at the 14-yard line. Big play there as well. And then on your second kickoff return, you did some damage. You punished some guys, and you bring the ball out to the 33. You and that performance – it was really encapsulating of everything you guys did across the board, special teams wise. What was it like being tip of the spear on on that regard? Uh, it was fun, you know. Anything, anytime I can go out there and perform for my teammates, I'm, I'm willing to do so. Whatever, whether it's a gunner rep, if I got to go in as a reserve at corner, kickoff return, just anything, I'm willing to do anything to help the team. So I feel like I showed that this past Sunday and willing to show it on here on out. Yeah. How do you build on that individually? I know wins are the main goal, but on an individual basis, how do you build on this? What do you set as goals the rest of the way? I mean, I would love to get back in the end zone, of course. And just, like I said, just anything I can do to help the team just perform well and win the games. That's, that's all it comes down to to me. And you know, with all those heroics on special teams, you actually were out on the field on defense, made a tackle part of a really good effort there. What do you guys need to do against a high powered chargers offense this week? We got to just keep – they got a good quarterback over there, a good, great young quarterback and a good receiving core. So we just got to keep the ball in front of us as a def- defense pers- perspective. Special teams, we got to go out there and dominate. I feel like we have the upper hand on them on special teams. So we go out there and win that phase, and they can jumpstart our offense and defense. Yeah, what separates Justin Herbert from other QBs you've seen this year? I think his deep ball. He has a good deep ball. and He has the receiver that go high-pointed within Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. So – he, he does a great job throwing the deep ball, and he, he, doesn't for, he doesn't force things too much. He'll take his check down and trust his guys to make some plays. So we just got to keep the ball in front of us and make our tackles. The way you guys are playing now as a special teams unit, how much have y'all grown, you think, overall from maybe week one, week two, in the early part of the season? Yeah, you know, we, we, all, are new, we all knew pieces out there, and we actually had a bunch of guys from the practice squad up on, on special team this past week. So, I mean, they still come to practice hard like they're the starters each and every week. So I, that's why we was just so confident going into that game. And I'm always confident in my blockers or whoever I'm running down there with kickoff or my opposite gunner, no matter what. So I just we have faith in all these guys and we know we all can perform at a high level. Yeah, you just brought up an interesting point and you did it after the game on Sunday, talking about some of those those young guys like VZ, 
Strahan. I mean, that's the first time they ever even suited up in an NFL game. Right. They come out there and they do what they did. How impressive is that in its own right, where we are in the season and, and what those guys are doing, those young guys? That's a great job to them. You know, just it showed coaches that they they was ready the whole time and they just needed their opportunity. And when they got the opportunity, they performed really well. VZ got a couple offensive snaps. Connor, he was out there a lot too. So it was just good to see them uh, actually take that opportunity, uh, take advantage of their opportunity. All right, let's see how you're powering game day. It's noon kickoff at NRG Stadium. So with that in mind, what time are you going to sleep at night? I'm sleep by I'm in bed probably like 8:30, like right when we get done with means like laying around. I'll watch some football if some football on or something like that. But I try to be asleep by like 10, 10 30 for sure. Yeah, and then when do you wake up? Eight o'clock. Eight o'clock. Yes. Do you get, get a good sleep. like nine, ten hours of sleep almost. Yeah, huh? I try to get all the sleep I can and <laughs> make sure my legs are well rested. There you go. There you go. And what do you eat before the game? Two scrambled eggs with onions and peppers, a little guacamole on the side. French toast, strawberries, and then I have a little protein shake I drink in the morning. Okay. All right. Pretty routine. That's every that's been for the past 15, 16 weeks as well. So okay. So getting old by now. <laughs> something you this year, that's that's how you started doing it, huh? Yes. Uh-huh. I'm okay. pretty routine when it comes down to my food. I like having certain things on this right on a certain day. So kind of kind of can say I'm picky. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. You like what right. you like, you know, you like what get I like. Exactly. All right. Finally, what are you listening to pregame musically? A whole lot of Future, Little Dirt, and Little Baby. That's probably my top three right now. Those are the three, huh? Those are the three. Yes, sir. They can. They get me going. They get me ready to run. Go hit somebody. All that. <laughs> well, we'd love to hear it. We're happy for you. Last thing, we know you want to win from Santa Claus, but what else would you like for Christmas? I, th I think I want a new car. I think it's about time for a new car. So hopefully, I can get this new car here soon. Tremont yes, Smith, thanks so much for the time. Best of luck against the Chargers. And we'll see you again very soon. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. That dude is awesome. Tremont Smith, congratulations for being the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. And a big thanks to Tremont, to Drew, to Deepy, to Haley Elwood, to Davis Mills, to Nick Casario, Mark Vandermeer, all my guys over at Sports Radio 610. Y'all stay safe. And all of you out there, you guys all stay safe. Have Continue to have. A great holiday season. We will see you hopefully on Sunday. Hopefully you'll be there and support these guys as they go up against the L.A. Chargers. Tomorrow, 6-7, to seven, Texans All-Access, and then Titans 49ers after that. See you then, everybody, and as always, go Texans. Always go Texans. Always go 